Welcome to the Tales of Mythic Adventure podcast, coming to you from distant shores with your hosts, Jeff and Mob. Welcome to Tales of Mythic Adventure, and I'm Jeff Richard. And I'm Michael O'Brien, also known as Mob. And Jeff, this is really exciting because for, I think, the first time in recording this podcast series, I'm looking at you over the microphone. We're in the same city, the same time zone. The same continent. We're even drinking the same beverage, which Coca-Cola. I'm holding up to the holding up to the. <laughs> yeah, 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 those of us, those in the studio audience can tell that these are real Coca Cola and whatever. Yeah, don't spill that on the microphone. That would be bad. So we are here, actually, in uh, Seattle. We're in the. Uh, this is the town of Bellevue. We are in the suburb of Bellevue, home to to many exciting things. I, I believe. Um, uh, it's next door to Redmond, which is where Microsoft is, but Bellevue is most famous for, at least within the Glorantic community, for being the home of Moon Design member Neil Robinson. Oh, who- funny you should say that, <laughs> because who do we have here in the studio with us? Oh, hi, Neil. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mom. Thank you. Neil Robinson is uh, a member of the Moon Design team. Neil, you're also a resident of Bellevue, I believe. Exactly. I'm the only member of Moon Design on Moon Design West right now. However, I will say, I've got a pretty exciting announcement today. Ooh. Because there are not two members of Moon Design here on this call, but there are three. Is there? Yes. Um, the I understand that it's now a tetrarchy. Exactly. I think a tetrapaki. A tetrapaki. Yes, it used to be a triumvirate, and now it's a tetrarchy. And we all know that triumvirates are inherently unstable. Unstable. Because somebody always ends up being Lepidus. Yes, yes. So now, oh, well, who's who's Domitian now in the the tetrarchy? That's a good question. We'll have to... He actually retired and died in his bed, didn't he? He retired, turned over the reins of power. To grow um, cabbages, I believe. Uh, Yes, he did. I think this is all a very good thing. No one here is actually planning on retiring, but we're just saying that tetrarchies are a good thing. They are a good thing, especially if you like cabbages. Indeed. So, yes, uh, it it is very exciting. I am very excited to now be a member of the Moon Design team. And we're very, very glad to have you. We're super excited. It would be great if we actually had the fourth member of the Tetrarchy around the table, but uh, Rick is is currently off somewhere else. He's exciting. A, he's at a Boy Scout camp somewhere in the wilds of Michigan. Up where in I, Michigan, I believe. I, where I believe there are wolverines and bears and badgers. Fearsome badgers. Honey badgers. Honey badger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that there's a honey badger at this camp. So Rick, uh, Rick is going to join us later in the week at Gen Con. We're very Absolutely. excited uh, to be heading down there. But at the moment, we're here convening in uh, in sunny Bellevue. This is really interesting. I've been to Seattle, I think, about six or seven times in my life. And apart from the one time I came at Christmas time in winter, I've only ever come at this time of year. And everyone tells me that Seattle, it always rains. In fact, people from this part of the world don't tan, they rust. But every time I come here, the weather is glorious. And you know what? There is a town in eastern Washington called Yelm. Uh, not eastern Washington, southern Washington. Oh, so- oh I'm sorry. I, I there should is, refer to a local. Yes, yes. There, is, there is the glorious city of Yelm, which if you're heading uh, south of Seattle on I-5 on the way to the state capitol, you will be visited by a mystic sign saying 
Yelm. And Yelm is best known for a, has a, a cult connection of its own because Ooh. it is the home of the magical caveman, Ramtha. Oh, is it? Right. Is that that um, channeling spirit? There is a a a a lady who channels a magical and very wise uh, caveman. With the, I thought he was from Atlantis, actually. Was well, it might, someone else? Uh, maybe he's an Atlantean caveman. Okay. Well, he, he got around. <laughs> you know, when I went to Arcucon two, which was held down in San Francisco Bay Area. I was foolish enough to drive down from Victoria, Canada. We did take the ferry to go across. But I do remember that as we drove through Washington State, when my two friends and I saw Yelm, we knew it was a sign and it was going to be a great trip. And that's when it was a wonderful trip. I'm sorry you missed it. And you missed the most famous part of it, which was the Canadian bathtub of beer. We've had many bathtubs of beer (laughs) since then. But this was the bathtub of beer. Was it now? Well, that was my way to get in and meet all the people that were in the Tales community of the Glantha. Well, I was I was going to ask the I was going to ask that you know what's something that nobody knows about you, and you could have told us the the bathtub of beer. You're going to have to think of something else. But people know about that. Oh, okay. For the MTF question. So I wonder about the town of Yelm. Did Greg Stafford one day pass through this? Say back in 1966 or something. You know, I actually have no idea, and I suspect that Yelm didn't play any impact on the naming of the sun god. It is simply a fortuitous, magical moment of synchronicity. Serendipity. With serendipitous, serendipitous synchronicity. synchronicity. Yes. Uh, isn't that a Don't ask song? me to spell that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Neil, you, you have an, an interest in Glorantha that goes back to, I think, probably before the, the age you were legally allowed to drink, though you did bring up the, the bathtub of beer. When did you get into into Glorantha? Oh, um, I'd like to say that the first time I ever played a game in Glorantha was uh, when I was in grade, I don't know, grade 10. Mm-hmm. Probably there it had just come out, somewhere around there. can't remember the exact dates. Um, but I didn't really get into it as much um, until I moved to the Netherlands as an exchange student. And uh. at that point, then um, I needed to have a role-playing game that was different than the Dutch one, was Oog van de Meesters. In which case, what I is got... the connection between Oak van de Meesters with uh, the Schwarze Alga? I think that's the Dutch version of the same game. Oh, okay. Just so you're right. Okay, I, I think you need to tell our listeners a bit more because I. No, it's actually I'm more confused. entertaining if, if you have no idea. These these are all games that sound better in a foreign language <laughs> than when you actually understand what they are. So exactly. You, so, did you bring RuneQuest no. to the Netherlands? No? I, have, I unfortunately no, but I did have my dad actually make a photocopy of it. And send it over. Oh, tis, so we're tis. able to run and run RuneQuest there as opposed to the other game systems. Um, after that, I didn't get involved that much again until, as my friends always ended up wanting to play D&D in university. Mm-hmm. So I played a lot of that going there. And only once I started um, doing uh, internships in places like Ottawa, um, I actually found RQ3. I, um, I got involved in that again. I bought all the old stuff. and decided to go to the RQ1 convention. So and this was in Baltimore in mm-hmm. 1994, I believe. Was it 94 or 92? No, I think it was no, 94. It was, not, it was 94. 94. And, it, and I was there too, and I remember that distinctly because it was really gold. Oh, that's right. And we had the Trollball team, and it was the Canadians versus the rest of the world, and we crushed you because everyone else whipped out. Yes, because it was scheduled at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning, which I think was a bit unkind. <laughs> A bit unrealistic, I would say. Yeah, and it did involve throwing snowballs, which I thought was uh, appropriate. And it was a bitterly cold winter. 
So that was the first um, Gloranthan convention. Was the first time I went to. The first person I met there was Greg Stafford. And I remember... Um, we got a, it's good to start at the top. Exactly. And he invited me over and sit with him at a table, introduced himself. I said, great. But I wasn't really sure who he was. <laughs> well, and then, um, a few years later, you really got into the thicket. Sure. I went, I went way in. Um, what happened was my two friends, um, Bill and Rich, um, we, when we went down, I got them to come with me, went down to, to drive down to the convention in San Francisco and bring the bathtub of beer. Um, and they really loved it. And so we decided that, hey, let's get involved and let's um, do a convention in Victoria. So um, I ended up being, I guess, the driving force and doing a lot of work doing that and running that convention and organizing it. I learned a lot. I learned that convention organization is, I don't know, I wouldn't call it my favorite thing to do, but it was extremely satisfying. And it was a little more challenging because between the time that I decided to do the convention and when convention started, I ended up moving to the United States. So I also had to do a lot of it quite remotely. But to be and, and and also Victoria is on an island, so that actually also just adds to the uh, the it, logistic challenge. It does. It? It's a bit of a challenge. It takes about um, four and a half hours or five hours from here to get there. But I did get to meet and have a ton of cool guests stay at my place on the way to the convention, and that was really neat, mm-hmm. including you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's and and then you must have come to the convention in Australia. No, I didn't come to the convention in Australia. I came to both conventions in Australia. Oh, forgive me, yes. And I distinctly remember that because I took Neil to a costume shop at one stage to get himself kitted out. Exactly. I was playing um, Emperor Moonsun, and I remember getting the hat with the most silliness. So I wore this great hat on it, and it would ba- had a little curve over, and every time someone had to come talk to the Emperor, I would just bob it back and forth <laughs> in front of their eyes, and they'd have to laugh. The only problem was, of course, that the, uh, the costume was also doubled as a quilt. So and this did take place in the Australian summer. So yeah, was, they, I, I that was was this the second one? That was the second one. The second one, the one that I was at. Um, that was a magnificent convention. It was um, the first one that we had in Australia was held in a primary school, so it had very small chairs. So it was good to move it to a place where people could actually sit down without uh, you know breaking their knees. It was also dry, but the first one was yes. I, I do regret. Uh, although the the discussing of of good old days of conventions is wonderful, Neil. Also, you get yourself involved on the publishing side of things. Mm-hmm. Sure. So um, I've done a number of things um, to help fund the convention. Um, what I did was I basically became and produced Enclosure, which we did two issues of. Mm-hmm. I and, was the and, was, and for for people who don't know what Enclosure magazine was, Enclosure one and two was. The uh, essentially the North American uh, counterpoint, I get not not even counterpoint. The North American tales equivalent. It was a tremendous amount of of playable material, um, material about Glorantha that had never seen print that Greg before, had never given to anyone else before, mm. and it was also a real thing because the, um, that was something that was really developed. Pendragon Pass, um, Pendragon Pass is in there. That part had the, the complete rules in it, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's a you know it's a it's a it's a hard item to find now. I, I well, clue. collectors out there, we were talking about uh, collecting last week. There's a tip: go and see if you can find yourself enclosure one and two and i remember these and these were hefty tomes as well weren't they 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 were especially the first one the first one was very significant it was pretty heavy quite a big book yeah 
And you've continued that tradition going forward at Moon Design, obviously, because uh, the Guide to Glorantha is one of the heaviest role-playing releases ever. So That's right. Go. And I do admit that everyone got to see my forearms as I <laughs> head out and talked and flipped over the pages as the first time as we got it. Um, so, yeah, there's a, a lot of things coming from there. Uh, I've been writing with Jeff a long time. I don't 20 know years. If, yeah, people have been aware. But from starting with Orcarl's Bull, running the games Follow the House of Malon, which I was able to run in Australia, a, England, uh, Germany. Fabulous. Well, you were involved in writing the uh, EWF reform. Drive Between the Dragon and the Deep Blue Sea. Um, um, did you? Were you involved in writing the, the Crusade reform? No. Or was that just me? Okay. I was not involved in that. Um, but just quite a number. Yeah. And, um, Greg, At least three or and, four. Um, Jeff and I have worked closely together in a lot of things. So um, I could probably uh, two and a half years ago now, I got involved in working in uh, Moon Design itself and became a, a full member soon about the same time as the Guide of Glorantha Kickstarter. Right. That's when the work began. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Neil has all of the work and none of the glamour. Yeah, none of that. I so you're, right. you're, none you're of the, the fame. You're, you're the guy in the back room. Tell us a bit about your role. What, what, what are the key things that you make sure happen? Well, if you ever buy a product, and if it's a PDF, I make sure it gets downloaded, mm-hmm. as it were. Um, I do a lot of the website work with help from David Scott. Um, I do all of the. I work a lot of fulfillment, getting all that delivered now. And we use a third-party fulfillment company, um, Bang Publishing, which is. Um, Printing, sorry. Uh, I don't know if you saw my post when I was the person who went and visited them in Brainerd, uh, Minnesota. Oh, that's right. And you were the original impetus for what became... Yeah, these are important ones. These oh, are... Right. I do have a claim to fame for a few other things. Impetus for Prince of, um, Prince Sartor. of Sartor. Um I do the publish for that. I do all the website development. This is the, uh, this is the web comic? Yep. Yes. And uh, something's coming out at Gen Con for that, I believe. Oh yes, that's pretty exciting. We're actually going to offer that we have the actual have the first the first version, the prelude for first three chapters, exactly, which forms the prelude of the comic. So, how many pages is that going to be? Sixty-four. Six, 64. Yeah, it's like 48, 49 pages of. Comic. I had um, I, I I have to tell uh, the listeners I was having a uh, Skype conversation with Rick Mites the other day, and he showed me it on the screen and riffled it. And it's a little bit better doing that on a Skype video call because you can actually see it. I didn't realize there were 64 pages yeah, in there. Yeah, it's a 64-page uh, So does that book. take it right up to uh, the current last yep. episode? Wow. Exactly. And then it, after Gen Con, we'll be kicking off uh, Chapter 4. And... After Gen Con, we'll be starting work on Chapter 4. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And what was the other one? Well, the other one is, is one that I mentioned a long time ago. Um, in university up in Victoria... Um, my friends, a gaming group my brother got me involved with, and um, who still play. They've still been playing for 30 years. Um, but they always play Dungeons & Dragons. They actually still play exactly the same version as they did 30 years ago. Same rules and everything. I'll swear the same characters. Um, <laughs> but are they, they 144th level magic users by now? All no. multi-classed by now. <laughs> yeah. That's right. No, I think they've died about it. They've died, you know... Ten characters a session, they lose. Um, but anyhow, uh, one of the things on that was a lot of my friends there were always playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons, and um, I work on a company. I have a work with a company who's next door to Watsi. A lot of people here in D and D is really the game, the strongest game out here. And um, I want to get people into, into Glorantha, but a lot of them are really reticent because they don't want to use other rule systems. They either like really crunchy rule systems. Um, mm-hmm. Say like or D and D, and the narrative ones they find a little tough, and it's unfortunate because of all the beauty that we have and how a hero class Glorantha game comes. 
And one of the people who was another member of the Seattle Farmers Collective. Um, oh, you want to mention what the Seattle Farmers Collective was? I don't think we've ever exactly. You've never mentioned that. that? Seattle- excited. Well, somebody in the studio audience, please correct us if we've actually I'm mentioned. I'm sure the it's Seattle been Farmers. obliquely referred to, and I will actually say I'm just going to mention here. Unfortunately, Rob, the producer, can't join us today. He's back in Australia. <laughs> And uh, technical reasons mean we can't bring him on board, but he'll be writing up his highly entertaining uh, episode summaries, and we'll actually just have to put an asterisk at this point here that he can go back and check if we've ever mentioned the Farmers Collective before. So, tell us all about it. What was what was it? Well, the joke always was that the games that Jeff would run or even David would run were always based around clans. And it was far more important in success of wealth. It was not how many gold pieces or how many magic items, but it was how many cows you had. Because if you didn't have enough cows, you didn't survive the winter. This is especially with saying the Pendragon Pass styles games. So this is kind of the exact opposite to your uh, friend's 30-year um, D&D, D&D type campaign. campaign. No, not, I wouldn't say it's the exact opposite, but it's definitely a very different style of game, sure. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and definitely the focus was, and we took kind of took the mini maxers. The, the mini maxers were the guys that figured out how to produce the most of um, cattle and the richest farms uh-huh. became the hardcore mini maxers. Going, my character will sur- more likely survive the winter and have heirs if I maximize my cattle rearing skills. Because mm-hmm. you got a plus one on the survival roll, and that's really important. <laughs> But the real thing it was, it was a play on the fact that everybody said, you know, we just wanted to, they just play farmers out, out um, in the Seattle how area. Stupid, and how so, stupid is that? You and know? So we took that as a moment of pride, and thus we talked to the, the Seattle Farmers Collective, although it included people from, um, say, from Victoria. We had Martin Laurie came down for a number of games. I think Leslie Quadros and even Paul um, Paul Wilson, who was from New Zealand, who was living in Victoria yeah. at the time. Right. So there's a big group of us that we all kind hey, of... Hey, Ray Chopping, group. also from yeah. England, then New Zealand, and now Victoria. Vancouver. 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 Unless he's moved again. So anyway, we took that as a moment of, um, of real pride on that. So we mm-hmm. did the publications through that. And then, um, you know, fast forward many years, Jeff is um, involved with Rick. He's moved to and, Berlin. And it's also worth mentioning, David Dunham was a founding member Ah, and that's going to give a bit of a hint as to where he took this whole idea of the person with the most cows gets Funny to survive. That. Yeah. I think there's a relation there. But yeah, it's a pretty big, you know, the group's been going for a long time on that. And and to get back to things... Well, to- just to say um, for our listeners, we're, we're saying with David Dunham, of course, was the creator of the King, King of Dragon, Dragon Pass. Pass. Which uh, okay. of which uh, owning cattle and sheep is a key element in the your uh, clan survival, and there's a lot of of the vignettes and episodes that occur in that game that very easily could have um, well actually occurred. came out of the stuff yeah. you guys were doing. Definitely did. I think it's a lot of the same, a lot of the character styles and that, and it's the same area. And I think they played off each other really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember one fun time during when. Um, I don't know if it was a time in the snow when we were, we were um, snowed in at my house and you, your brother, and myself marched over with beer to... to oh, that's the time that we house. filled our pockets with... Uh, we went by the store, filled our pockets with Guinness from the nearby store because uh, the whole area of Seattle was snowed out. And we wandered over to David's place because we figured he was snowed in as well and he would appreciate beer. And he was doing his... Uh, was it the artist party? Some artist party for... Um, so we crashed yeah. the artist party of oh, Finger for, Dragon for the game, yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. And I noticed that recently someone else just got some of the, I think the last few prints that David was selling. Yeah, he's actually, so. I, I noticed that he's selling some of the artwork of that game, uh, which is interesting. If there's any available, buy it. Yeah, it's really cool yeah. stuff. So I actually interrupted you in midstream there. And now we have no idea what we were talking this about. This is why we need Rob the producer. <laughs> exactly. Could, Rob would remind us. us. We're lost. <laughs> oh, we can. I see, can remember. See, this is, okay. why, this is why he's the operations guy. Okay. <laughs> so the question you had was really about what, um, uh, what else we have coming up. And I think a lot of people are aware about the 13th Age in Glorantha. Um, Rob Heinzo is also a member of the Seattle Farmers Collective. And we even had Jonathan Tweet come to some of our games as well. And um, they've been working really hard on the 13th Age in Glorantha. I've been fortunate being able to do the playtesting with them, I think, three or four sessions so far. Yeah. Um, actually, Jeff, you're going to be there on Wednesday. I'm looking forward. We're going to game on Wednesday. Exactly. Um, and I, I would like to say that you know, the, one of the big impetuses behind getting 13th Age in Glorantha, I'm going to take full credit for this. Because I wanted to bring Glorantha to my friends, and if they're unwilling to try a different rule system and... I know we've tried them with RuneQuest. I have friends who've tried to play GURPS. never happened. It's like, okay, well then, let's bring Glorantha to the rule system as opposed to having mm-hmm. to bring them to a different one. So this is bringing Glorantha to the D20 type... Uh, exactly, exactly. I think it school. is. And it's, mm-hmm. um, it's amazing how close, in many ways, you can play a game like HeroQuest Glorantha and play 13th Age. They're, oh, very much so. Very similar. The big, to me, the biggest difference is the combat level and the level of detail you want to study. If you're interested in tactics, you want to play the style of a berserker who's going to do crazy things and changes every round, or you want to have like a... Um, a rebel who can do sneak attacks, and you get all these neat things that style that fit well in the um, D&D or the 13th Age play system, as opposed to worrying about a system that, say, with Hero Quest, we would never have that level of detail. No, because uh, combat is no different than any other sort of, of conflict resolution. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And then they get to leverage, if you think about it, all the great depth that we have. Yeah. It's really, it's really well, funny. and we've always said that, that Glorantha, the setting, is more than any of the rule systems that are associated with it. I think Glorantha stands independent of any RPG mm. setting, and that's part of the reason that we've done the Prince of Sardar webcomic. Yep. And that's also part of the reason that we re-released and, and redid uh, King of Sardar and are working on uh, Glorantha-related fiction, and why the Guide to Glorantha has... No connection whatsoever to any rules. There's no rulesy bits in there. Yeah. And same with the the other book that we're going to come out with that Kickstarter. Is oh the, yeah, the, the source book. The, right, the source book. book has absolutely no stats yeah. uh, or rules in it at all. So so yeah, I, I do that. I mean, work on that piece. That's a lot of fun. Um, right now, we're working on getting ways to simplify fulfillment for us. Really hoping that I can get the European fulfillment sorted out. That's a big thing. I know that our uh, the one, one wonderful thing about the Glorantha community is it's the most international group. It is. Um, it always amazes me, impresses me when I find out, oh, look, I've got an order from Kazakhstan. I mean, that's just Wow. Like, <laughs> so where are some of the weird places that uh, stuff gets sent? Kazakhstan. Uh, Kazakhstan's, well, it's not just Kazakhstan. Um, also, the um, the islands that, are, they, that recently lost their internet access. Uh, is it Morateus? It was Mauritius? Yeah, Mauritius Island. They lost um, there. Oh, that's why um, they've got to do tabletop gaming, because there's no more internet gaming. <laughs> yeah. How um, do they order our books, then? <laughs> and how do they get there? Yeah, so it's pretty It's pretty neat. I mean, we've had ones where it's been sent down to, um, let's see, is it um, to Uruguay? Mm-hmm. And it's really funny because there is a local game store in, I guess, the capital of Uruguay. And hey, Uruguay. And they brought it out and held it out. It was wonderful. Uruguay wow. is a gaming hub. Yeah. 
uh, Malta. I got an email recently from someone in Malta. So it's pretty neat to see that. I think we've got, I'll have to add it up again, about 48 countries or more that we've had orders from, probably more than that, and pretty well every Canadian province, every United, every, almost every every state. Well, what was the state we didn't sell? I, I know we sell. I, I know we sold a copy of the guide to every state in the United States, but one. Uh huh. I think that's going to be our trivia question for listeners this week to see if they can guess which one it is. A we could have a prize. Dun 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 dun. dun I've dun. already had. We already posted that actually. Oh. And the other thing to be aware of is there are more than fifty obvious states. You also got the territories, but you've also got the ones when they ship overseas. So it gets a little more complicated when you have the addresses. Oh, see, I was just assuming the answer was Rhode Island or something. It, it should be Rhode Island. <laughs> it's not. It should be Rhode Island. I'm just saying. It should yeah. be. Well, there could be lots of people up at Newport. Or Bay. Providence. Or Providence. There you go. See, I'm, I'm showing off my knowledge of American <laughs> geography. Very good. Yeah. So, Neil, in a week's time, we've got something exciting coming up. We're going to Detroit. Uh, we Detroit! To... Yay! That is actually true, but that is only <laughs> the first stage of oh. our hero quest. Where You're right. We, where yeah. do we go after that? The, the so Detroit, that's Detroit that's the is, descent, the... is that the descent into the underworld? <laughs> <laughs> it was last time we had to drive through it when you and I were cruising. Oh, yeah we, had to, yeah, we had to cruise around yeah. the the um, empty husks of, of industrial Detroit. Well, yeah. well the, um, obviously, then our, our ritual, our preparation ritual happens when we all gather at um, Moon Design Central in, um, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Mm-hmm. We all group together. Greg flies out. You come out there. And then we'll, we'll get all that. The design me- mechanism guys are going to be there yeah, as well. Lawson Pete. Lawson Pete. Yeah. And then we all get Coming together. down from the Arctic Circle, as, they, as yeah. they do. Yeah. Got our party bus. And away we go. Roll down to Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we got a lot going on this year at Gen Con. Um, besides the fact that the Guide to Glorantha has been nominated for the Diana Jones Award and for four separate Ennies. Ooh, just tell our listeners what exactly the Ennies and the Diana Jones Award are. Okay, well, the Ennies are the, the, one of the three big, uh, role-playing game awards. Industry awards, yeah. Yeah, industry awards. And, um, not, it's nominated uh, by a group of judges, so uh, products are selected by a group of judges, um, and then voted on by the role-playing game public at large. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy to Glorantha is up for best cartography, thanks to Colin Driver's amazing maps. Uh-huh. Best production value, which is thanks to I, I'd say thanks to uh, Rick Mainz's awesome layout. Mm-hmm. A best setting, Glorantha, and goes without saying book of the year exactly they are some pretty exciting awards to be nominated for that's fantastic <laughs> yeah and tell us about the diane we we did actually mention in our last episode when you remember actually rob the producer naively asked who diana jones was and, <laughs> and many people asked that question and the answer was given but just to, just a quick reprise what the, diana is the diana jones, jones award? award is the oscar for best picture award for the role-playing game mm-hmm. industry. And it is... Um, only one award is given out each year, and it's for the most excellent role-playing product of the year. And it is determined by a secretive and occult cabal of hooded, mysterious judges who, I believe, 
Um, so this one, sacri- this I believe one, they sacrifice a goat at the be- beginning of their uh, preliminary. Don't uh, they do it over the ley lines that go through oh, Minneapolis? Yes. Yeah, I they mean, go. They, 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 yeah. Well, I think actually they meet in separate portions of the United States that are are linked up by Anasazi uh, ley lines. Either that or the internet, and <laughs> and so this is actually an award that is not judged by the uh, role playing game public. This Correct. is a, this is by. Uh, peers and by well, so it's it's by a secretive cabal of hooded yeah. <laughs> so, occultists. Uh, and I believe that just in the uh, the lead up to Gen Con, there's been quite a bit of buzz about the, the yeah the guy I mean, as, a, as, a, as a contender. Frankly, I've been I've been really really flattered and humbled by the accolades that the guide has gotten from folk that I I had no idea they were even aware of the product. And it's been remarkable. That's because you don't handle the orders. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. But um, it's it's been tremendously flattering. It's been tremendously flattering. And of course, we have our 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 fingers crossed, or so as they does... say in Germany, our thumbs pressed. There's oh. a secret meeting that only those who know are invited and find out. But it's announced by Thursday. Everyone will know. Okay, knows. on the first day of uh, Gen Con. That's fantastic. Exactly. Well, so, but that's luck. not the only thing that we got going on in Gen Con. That's just kind of the big backdrop to mm-hmm. what's going on. But we have a, if you're going to Gen Con this year, um, you really should just look at the laundry list of events that Moon Design Publications are sponsoring and at Gen Con. And come to our booth. And come to our booth. Um, but we will be, for example, we have um, two Glorantha. Um, Seminars going on on Thursday. Mob, don't know if you realize it, but you're at both of these. Uh, great. <laughs> I was just actually looking up what our booth number is so that we can tell people to come and visit us. Um, we're at booth 2535. 2535. Mm-hmm. Exactly. We're doubling the size of um, of last year. So, wow. So- so on Thursday, pretty much if you're over at the Crown Plaza seminar rooms, you'll probably run into a Glorantha or 13th Age or RuneQuest-related seminar. Uh, there's just a ton of them. We have a kids free form going on, I think, um, is it four days? It's at least three, if not four days. Yeah, of, that's being run by Tanner Kritz, which yep. uh, looks amazing. And this is basically for kids and those who are young at heart. I think it's actually all ages. Um, and it is a free form about the Siege of Whitewall. And wow. each day is a separate part of the, the siege kids. for kids and those who are young at heart. Wow. So I think all of us would probably be perfectly comfortable playing in this. Absolutely, uh, and that really looks awesome. And I, uh, if if you're you're going to Gen Con with your kids, sign up for this. Or if you just want to be in a awesomely fun free form with kids, sign up. Or just go and see it. Or just go and see it. Um, I'll be running games. You'll be running games. I believe you're running an MGF game. I believe I am. And, uh, I think it's called the Diet of Worms, or is it called Rune, Rune Metal, Metal Jacket? Ah, oh, okay, one of those. And yeah. and I'll be running um, two Hero Quest games, and I believe Neil will be running a Hero Quest yep. game. Return to um, Wonder Home. Return to Wonder Home, 
And we we also are doing we're debuting and showing off the new revised awesome version of Credo, the game of dueling dogmas. Now, uh, some of our listeners may remember this game from an awful long time ago. In fact, Neil got out from his collection two copies of the original game. How many years ago did it come out? Oh, I don't know. Long About time. 20 years ago? Maybe? 20 years ago. Probably that. More than 20 years ago, I think. I and and to, for the collectors, there are two different versions of the game. Oh, there are actually specific. three different versions of No, it. but I had two of them. You there. had two. Did you have the French one as well? Do you have I didn't control? pull that out. I have oh, okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Credo is actually a card game, which is a simulation of the Council of Nicaea in AD 325. It was uh, originally conceived and designed by uh, our friend from the UK, Christopher Gidlow. Absolutely. Who is, in fact, the manager of live interpretation at the historic Royal Palaces of London. Now, how's that for a cool job title? <laughs> that is a remarkable job title. It is. So... Uh, this but it's also a fantastically fun game. It is. It, it is it, it is the game of dueling dogmas. So what happens is each of the players in the game plays one faction in the church at the time. And they get to play all the different bizarre heresies that were in play at the time. I, I think, yeah, the amazing thing I find about it is you can't make this stuff up. I think oh, it's, it's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible to think of the crazy things that they have there that were truly believed and followed. Yeah, this this time. game is this game actually isn't fantasy. This game is is history. It, this game is history, and what really comes out of it is how remarkably political, backbiting, and and just. So how insane some of the heresies that didn't quite make it were. Indeed. Look, I'm not going to go into detail here, but in the actual game we have a glossary of heresy, which started off fairly small, but now runs over several pages of just one-line descriptions. And, you know, we uh, I have to say that everybody ought to own a card game that has a glossary of heresies. I think so. I, I think, think so. it's your, your moral obligation to know your heresies. So what we're going to do at Gen Con is we're going to have a playable demo of the game for people to experience. And we're going to have a uh, gaming area at the back of our booth. Yeah, absolutely. And what other game are we going to have there? We're going to Unfamy. have... Unfamy. Oh, oh, actually, we're going to have Unfamy. <laughs> we are indeed. Mob, Mob, Mob is so stunned by the excitement going on at Gen Con, he forgot his own game. It is. Yeah, this is another card game we're going to be bringing out, and this is the game of the obscurely famous and marginally memorable. So, this isn't a game about figures in history like Charlemagne or Robert E. Lee. This is a game about who was the guy that walked behind Robert E. Lee's horse with the shovel? You need to be able to... I, I know that name, by the way. This is a bluffing game. Who was game. the person who... Oh, well, you, you, you'll have to play that card and, <laughs> and, and see. It's a bluffing game. You don't actually have to know any of these figures. You just have to come up with cunningly plausible names that you think could fool other people. Now, we're doing, we're doing the quiz show. We are doing a hilarious quiz show version of this. Did you bring the Vegemite Con. chocolate? I have brought along uh, a... Well, you could say it's a prize or you could say it's a penalty for getting an answer wrong. And in Australia, we have a fairly unique breakfast spread called Vegemite. It has been uh, misinterpreted as axle grease 
by some people because it's the same colour and smells the same, and some people do and see say it tastes the same. It does it have the, more or less the same consistency as well. It does. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> for our British listeners, it's it's similar to Marmite, but that is a far, far, far inferior inferior version. Anyway, um, for reasons known only to uh, the chocolate makers of Australia, a brand of chocolate decided to bring out Vegemite chocolate. So instead of a soft centre of caramel or peppermint, it's a soft centre of Vegemite. And Jeff, you've tried it. Yes, you? I have. I've, I've, I've unfortunately gotten answers wrong at a previous Unfamy quiz show and had the the... Punishment, because it only yes. can be described. Because I think as a you believed that one of the questions was, "What was the name of the chief censor of paintings for the Spanish Inquisition?" Yes, so I, uh, I think you said it was Father Alfonso Redacto, <laughs> which wasn't true. So he had to, he had to eat the chocolate. So yeah, we're going to do that as a uh, as a game show as well, and that's fun. And the other event we're going to have. This is why I got yes. slightly thrown. Is we had put it on the schedule, <laughs> and it got taken off. We thought there might have been political correctness reasons, and now it appears to be back, back on, on the schedule. Which is the first ecumenical council of Indianapolis, Yes, where we are going to... Well, we, we're going to have a demo uh, play session of Credo in a seminar room. We're going to talk about the background and history of the game. We're going to get people to take it through its paces. I think we're going to have to have some theological debate. We're going to show off the amazing new artwork. By Michael Connor, who is yet another member of... Come on, Neil. Seattle Farmers Collective. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, yeah, the guys who do the... Or the guys and gals who do the Diana Jones Award, they may have their secret cabal. But we had our secret cabal. Mm -hmm. Still do. And still do. But we also have that amazing cover. We have. Oh my gosh! So, uh, folks, I would love to hold it up to the microphone right now. Hold it up to the microphone right now. It is. It is absolutely superb. It's wicked. It's actually been done by the same artist that has done Prince of Sata, and also did the amazing Illuminate picture that appeared in HeroQuest Glorantha. Absolutely, Colin Cardiff. And in fact. one of the reasons why uh, Prince of Sartar has taken a brief hiatus is because we've had him thoroughly tasked on working on this amazing cover. You can chain him down, but he still only do one thing at a time. <laughs> yeah, it is just brilliant. So we're really looking forward to showing off that at, uh, at Gen Con. And this is, in fact, the playable demo version. Later on this year, we're going to be uh, announcing the... Return of, of Credo to regular yeah. sale and distribution. Yep. We're probably going to have a Kickstarter for that too, I think, aren't we? Yeah, we very well may. Yeah. So it'll be something later on to, to look forward to in the year. And, of course, we'll be releasing uh, Unfamy as well. Probably not with complimentary Vegemite chocolate. Well, we'll, we'll have a think <coughs> You never know. That. Could be a, you know, a yeah. straight backer level. I, and we, I have forgotten <laughs> one other thing that, you'll, that, that you're going to be... Um, I don't know if it would be ready in time, but I know you're working on it right now, which is to get MGF back. Absolutely. So this is yet another role-playing system that you can use in Glorantha, and this is about as rules-light as we can come up it with. It makes HeroQuest Glorantha look like GURPS. It does, yes, yeah. It's the it's a game that, um, you know, I think GURPS, is GURPS the one that had a table for everything, or was that Rollmaster? That's Chartmaster. Yes. Chartmaster. Yes. Rollmaster. Rollmaster, yes. Ma- uh, sorry, yes. yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it's kind of the opposite for that, because this game has no charts whatsoever. But it did actually have an optional rule where you could use beer bottle tops, didn't it? To, bottle uh, Was that an optional caps? rule? I thought it was a mandatory rule. Oh, okay. Well... Because well, you, you couldn't actually, you know, use the bottle caps until you finished the beer first. Very true, very true. <clears throat> so, what we're looking at is we actually have a... We have got a whole bevy of these MGF tournaments that have been written over the years that really deserve a a better audience. So we're looking at bringing those out as well. We may even have them ready for Gen Con. That's the hope. Yeah. We also got some other game types you can come. If you want to learn, learn more about RuneQuest, you want to go and see a HeroQuest demo. We have to have HeroQuest games. Hero 13th Romantic Age. 13th Age Lorantha. games. And even God's War, right? Is that going to be there too? God's War will be at our um, associate's uh, Peterson Entertainment, which happens to be the booth right behind right, us, right next to us. Wow! So this is this is the spot to come and uh, see all these exciting. I, and also, also, I, I would be remiss uh, to forget to add that not only will be, there be God's War, but I believe they will be bringing Cthulhu Wars, some right. additional Cthulhu Wars stuff to show off. Yep, I'm sure they've got a lot of other stuff there. And too. so you definitely want to check out the uh, Peterson Entertainment uh, booth, which is right next to ours, which is headed up by our good friend Sandy Peterson, who's also been on this program a number mm-hmm. of times. And will hopefully be again. Absolutely. Yeah. So tons there. I mean, it's it's, it's amazing. It's our biggest, um, I could say our biggest event, and the, um, the next large one we're probably going to be at is what, Essen? Uh, then, yes, uh, in October we go to the... Uh, uh, Spiel at Essen. This which, is in, uh, in Germany. In Germany, which is a primarily board game uh, a trade show, but it's got a, a pretty large role-playing game. And I forgot the local event, PAX. PAX? PAX Prime, I guess they call it here. And mm-hmm. that's also, we're also going to be there. We'll be working there with the um, Fire Opal Media or for the 13th Age Group as well. So we'll have games there and more information. There. And possibly PAX Australia, too, later on this year so that's an awful lot going on that's no no, i guess that's why we had to become a tetrarchy instead of a triumvirate absolutely exactly we had a whole other continent to conquer antarctica that's next oh that's next so if you are interested (laughs) in joining moon design as a member if you you want to be if you want to be the antarctica representative of moon design please contact neil (laughs) let me know so he can fetch you. <laughs> Specifically if you can handle the fulfillment. Fulfillment. <laughs> because, you know, those penguins need somebody to bring them their games. They do. And the walruses. No, sorry, that's the wrong... Uh, oh, God, that's the wrong game. <laughs> that is a real rookie move. <laughs> anyway, I think we need to move on to our questions. Absolutely. Okay, this is a... a a tradition in Tales of the Mythic Adventure anytime we have anybody who's not already answered these questions before. And at some point, we'll probably have to ask them again just to see if people's answers are consistent. Ah, we, we, could, we could indeed. So, Neil. So, Neil, we move on to the final part of the episode. which is The, the questions? The this MGF questions, yes. Okay, you ready? Yeah, I can edit them if I don't like them. Well, he does have a point there. He is the guy that puts this uh, podcast up every week. So if you hear some strange voiceover, you know that the original answer was far better. <laughs> or the text doesn't match the voice. Yeah, yeah, that could happen as well. So tell us, what do you think that you do better than the average gamer? 
Well, I think I have a very depressing ability to remember rules of all types, all the way back to remembering, you know, the stats of the first edition monster manual that I haven't owned for 25 years. You mean you still know those stats now? Sure. No, no, you don't need to prove it. I, I have to say, I've gamed with you for a long time, Neil, and everybody knows you are better than the average player, at least in free-form games, at stabbing pe- backstabbing people with a smile. So, in, in fact, you're saying what he does is he doesn't stab in the back, he stabs in the front. I don't stab him at all. <laughs> okay. What is something that you do worse than the average game? Well, my brother always said I was super lucky at dice because I always beat him at risk in games like that growing up. But actually, I do roll really well until it's that single key critical pinnacle moment, and then it's going to be a And one. then it's snake eyes or a one, is yeah. it? Uh-huh. Yeah, you. I, I, I have to agree with Neil. Having been his GM for many, many years, nobody is more likely to fumble at a critical, at critical moment, moment. <laughs> and spend a hero point. Yeah. Which is the good thing about Hero, about Hero Quest. So, tell us, what's something that everyone knows about you? I'm Canadian. Oh, okay. And what's something that everyone doesn't know about you? Oh, that's even easier. Yeah? I'm not really just Canadian. Uh, You're not Canadian? No. Oh. Well, I. not many people knew that about yeah, you. I think we're going to leave that as an element of mystery. Dun, dun, dun. And we're going to finish up for, for today. This was... Tales of Mythic Adventure. I'm Jeff. And I'm Mob. And this was our guest. Neil. So I'm going to say tally-ho. See you guys next week. See you at Gen Con. And that concludes another tale of Mythic Adventure, coming to you via download at mythicadventure.com and on iTunes. This was a Rabbit Hat production in association with Moon Design Publications. No ducks were harmed in the production of this podcast. Because nothing is worse than... It's recording now. Recording and talking. Uh, Rob, the producer, again, edit out. Uh, Rob, the... Rob, we need you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of sympathy for Rob after what I see you guys go through. Oh, that's it. That's our happy, clappy clap, Rob. Okay. <laughs>